Leading a state or local government agency in the U.S., but finding it hard to get rid of operational and technological inefficiencies? You don't need to look any further, because help is here. Welcome to Rethink IT with Abhijit Virakar, a podcast dedicated to helping municipal leaders, city and county managers, mayors, CIOs, city or county council members, and others rethink IT and make government more efficient. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethink IT. I'm your host, A.V., and today we have Ms. Ivory Matthews, the Executive Director of the Columbia, South Carolina Housing Authority. Ivory, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for this. Thank you. Thank you so much, A.V., is what I'll call you for short. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. No, of course. And I've been following your LinkedIn and your profile for a little bit now, and it's very impressive what you've done with your career and how much you do for your community and public housing in general. And you are the newly elected on the legislative body of CERC. Yes, yes. I'm super excited about being the legislative chair for Southeastern Regional Council of Nara. Got a lot of great people working along with me. And hopefully when folk listen to this podcast, I'll have more people to join us. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's the plan. And then you're also involved in the Carolinas Housing Authorities. Tell us a little bit about that, too. Yes. So we have a trade organization, which consists of public housing authorities and community development entities. And that organization is called Carolina's Council of Housing Redevelopment and Codes Officials. And it covers the state of South Carolina and North Carolina. And I've recently been elected by the membership to be the president-elect so next year, this time, I guess folk will be looking forward to me being president. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So what's your personal journey? How did you get into public housing and how did you end up in this leadership role? You know, I think for me, how I ended up here was, I think it was really divine, right? You know, when I think about my childhood, growing up in rural South Carolina, not in the best housing situation at all. In fact, I tell people now that I realize it, that the first time that I was in quality, affordable housing was the day that I landed in college in a dorm room. And so it was not like the dorm rooms that you, you know, of today that's really plush. But, you know, I come from very, you know, humble beginnings, grew up in a mobile home and it was Jimmy rigged to the upteenth degree because my daddy was the electrician. He was everything that we needed to make this place a home. But fast forwarding, you know, I went to college and had the fortunate opportunity of uh, receiving my degree in sociology. And I knew at that time that I wanted to work in a place where I could, where my purpose and my passion met. And I, and you know, I was fortunate enough to realize that at a very young age. And so I. I applied for a job at the housing authority and uh, needless to say, they did not hire me the first time I applied, (laughs) but being the consistent person that I am, you know, I had a meeting with the executive director at that time. And I said, what is it that you're looking for in your employees? And he told me. And so I really appreciated that conversation because I did the work, but I did it through volunteer work. So my full-time job, I was working at a community college in the career placement office. And then I did some community work, getting to know the community from the standpoint of what it would take if you worked at a housing authority. 
And so about a year or so after that, he ended up um, calling me back and offering me a job. And it was the best decision I could have ever made in my life because it was where my passion and my purpose met. And I truly love what I do. So I'm, I'm certainly excited about that. It shows. It really is. And it's contagious. And was that with uh, Columbia? Which housing authority was your first job? Oh, this is actually with Aiken Housing Authority, which is in South Carolina. And it's about an hour and a half south of the capital, which is Columbia, South Carolina. But I was there. I spent 10 years there in Aiken. And I started out in compliance and then worked my way up to the CEO of the organization. I left there in 2011 and landed a position up in Toledo, Ohio at the Lucas Metropolitan Housing Authority and spent some time there. And then I came back to South Carolina to Greenville, spent five years in Greenville, and now I'm here in Columbia now, been here for the last two years. Toledo was interesting, I bet. I spent 10 years in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, it's definitely a different environment for those who uh, love the warm weather. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I'm moving south every year, so Um, (laughs) I like it. So let's talk about innovation and innovative things that you've brought into your organization's I bet you've seen from as you've grown from the ground up in public housing all the way from tons of paper to modernized systems. And you probably had a lot of influence on how those were those changes were made. So talk to me about how you think about innovation and how it applies to your industry. Yeah. So I'm going to take Columbia as it's my most recent example of the the technology and, and the benefits that it has made um, at our agency. You know, when I landed the opportunity here in Columbia, it was July of 2019. And I joined the agency right out of right after um, an unfortunate circumstance that happened at the organization, which caused me to really, really come in. Honestly, four days in, I launched a a 12 month action plan, had a press conference, had the media, local community, everybody there. And a big part of that 12 month action plan was to do a complete analysis of the back office operations. And so in completing that analysis of our back office operations, I realized immediately that our organization was crippled significantly because of the antiquated uh, technology systems. And so, you know, just as an example of the antiquation that we had, you know, all of the personal computers at the agency were at least 10 years old or older. We had file servers that were no longer being supported by uh, Dell or any of the IT firms because they had reached their useful life. We were ordering parts for our phone system from uh, any place that we could find them on the internet, (laughs) to be quite frank. And, you know, there was all of the systems. I can tell you every single system technology-wise in the organization was completely outdated by a decade or more. Mm -hmm. So there must have been a lot of noise, meaning you're getting a lot of information, you're new, and you're doing this very ambitious initiative. And I, you know, especially with the, it sounds like a tough political environment at the time. How did you cut through the noise? So one of the things I realized is that early on, in order to be, you know, successful at what you do, whenever you get a no, it just means no, not right now. And so there were opportunities for training for our governance. There's opportunities for training for our leadership team to really understand what it really meant to bring in these new systems. 
our organization wasn't just changing. We were going through transformation. And that's totally different. When you go through transformation, it totally flips you upside down. I mean, you're doing a you know, 360. So you have to have the fortitude and the strength to, to go through that. And so when I received no, as we were bringing forth ideas for, you know, governance approval or even, even staff buy-in, I realized I needed to go back to the drawing board to be able to articulate it in a way to get the yeses. And so there were a couple of roadblocks, but I think we're there. We still have some work to do, but I'm really excited about where we are right now. And I think One of the things was having that 12-month action plan and making it public, make holding us accountable to the public. The public wanted to know where were we with these things. And so I think that that was an opportunity for us to make a decision, even if we were scared because we just didn't know we were entering into new territory. And I say we as a as a group, because even though I've been, you know, have already been furtherly advanced with technology, I know that it can certainly be, uh, you know, scary for those who aren't. And it takes some vision setting, right? Like you can be a leader in technology, but what it really comes down to is what the vision for you, your organization and service delivery to your customers is concerned. And your customers are not, they're the ones that are in need that, you know, you can't hold off housing subsidies and assistance because your technology sucks. So how did you come up with the vision with that in mind, meaning that at the end of the day, your end customer is the one that needs to benefit from all of this? Yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, communications was, and it's still something that we're, we're, we're trying to make sure we perfect. And one of the things that I think a lot of times when you're operating in an antiquated system, the only focus that you have is that you, communication is narrowly focused on you having face-to-face contact, right? But you understand the magnitude of what technology can bring to you, uh, especially when you want to make sure that you're operationally sufficient, then you have a variety of different ways that you communicate with people. And I think, you know, one of the blessings, and I hate to say blessings when it comes to the word COVID-19 But one of the blessings that came out of COVID-19 was that we were able to transition much sooner and quicker with our deployment of new technology. For one, we had to, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because of, you know, healthcare, you know, recommendations of, you know, limiting face-to-face contact and that kind of thing. But we've had so much feedback from the people that we serve, positive feedback to say, thank you for allowing me to be able to access the website to go in and submit my income information. And I don't have to use my very limited resources to find transportation to come sit in your office for four hours waiting in a line behind 20 other people to be able to see a person face to face. A lot of our families, we also did a survey and found that a lot of our families, they do have access to smartphones. And so while some of them have never used a smartphone to the magnitude in which it was capable of doing, we have trained, you know, our consumers on how to use their smartphone. And so we have those just like, you know, we're having this virtual conversation now. We have those virtual conversations with our consumers via smartphone as well. So I think it's really beneficial to our customers, hands down. 
And you said transformation. I loved your definition and, and the separation between that and change. Did you transform everything from ground up? Like what was technology like when you made your you know, 12-month plan? When I made my 12-month plan, technology was at least two decades behind in the organization. Oh, wow. It was, yes, <laughs> hands down. And, you know, it needed a complete overhaul. And when technology is two decades behind, you know, it then requires you to have a huge, pretty healthy infusion of, of dollars, right, to bring it up to speed. And so preparing to have that conversation, you know, with our team, looking at our budget to make sure we had the resources and, and we had to make the we had to make sure we had the resources. That was first and foremost. You know, we have to be accountable to the people that we serve and we have to make sure that their information is being protected at the highest standard that technology will allow us. And so you know, to me, this was this was real, this was top priority. We had to do this. And did you have the support in house, not just from your management or, or board, but what kind of IT skill sets did you have on hand that you could tap into? Yeah, so we had we we made some changes internally with staffing in our IT department. We also bought on a third party firm to be that had the capacity to be able to move as expeditiously as we mm-hmm. needed to to accomplish our goals. And so, but we still do have that combination. I like that combination. I think it's, um, I think it's a good combination for any organization to have, uh, you know, separation of duties and responsibilities because, you know, in this day and time, a lot of companies, they're able to keep up with the most current systems to be able to protect your data, you know, to make sure that they can come in and give you some ideas on what you need to be transitioning to over the next three, five years with technology. And so they help you with developing a budget and developing a plan going forward so that you're not ever put in that place again. Yeah. And so I do like that combination. I think we've got a really good team, you know, to move the agency in the direction that we need. Well, also, it gives you flexibility because you you don't want to be tied to a certain set of skill sets that may not be relevant five years from now. So that's encouraging. You know, and then keeping your team accountable is something that I always ask leaders about. You can vision cast all day. You can set goals and pave the path. How do you keep your team accountable on the larger goals that are made up of these smaller sort of projects and activities? Yeah, so we we spend a lot of time communicating with our leadership team. We have a leadership team, and and that leadership team is made up of people who sit in all positions within the organization. So they don't necessarily have to have the job title of a director or supervisor, but we realize that the role that they play in the organization is one that is uniquely you know qualified to be on that on that leadership team. And so we have meetings with our leadership team on a monthly basis, just to have high level conversations about our larger team goals. And, you know, it's a no judgment zone. We talk um, freely and openly about those areas where things may have changed in particular departments that may impact us meeting our goals. And so we make those adjustments as we go along. And so we realize that goals are, are, are just that, they're things that you hope to accomplish but if you don't necessarily accomplish that goal within the time frame specified, it doesn't mean that you've failed at that goal. It just means that there's something that you need to do to adjust or you might, 
you know, you may have been uh, shooting too aggressively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> just no, no, just not yet. Just so, not yet. yeah, so no, not yet. And also, we have wins in our organization. And then we have what is called L's, which is not losses, they're learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so, we take our L's and we learn. And each time we have a barrier, a roadblock, a stumbling block, a technology block, we said, okay, what can we do to learn to make this change, to do something better? Right. That's amazing. And you don't have a technology background, right? You're not trained. You haven't been a CIO. So does it then come down to looking past what I call the blinking lights and saying, here's what the outcomes need to be. And let's find the Lego blocks and the bricks to build this roadway to the outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I tell people that I know enough about IT to be dangerous, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just happen to, you know, it's my career in another lifetime, right? (laughs) So I focus on the high level goals. And then I'm also nimble enough. You know, we're very laser focused in meeting our goals. But I'm also nimble enough to know that you have to learn how to pivot and make those adjustments when it's necessary. So I'm not unrealistic about, you know, what steps it really takes for us to meet those goals. And so I learn every day, you know, I tell people all the time, I am not afraid to hire people who are way smarter than I am. And uh, in fact, I love to hire people who are smarter than I am because I learn something from every single person, you know, in my organization, regardless of what position they sit in. And so bringing in these talented people to surround us, to meet our goals, you know, allow them to, to freely, you know, work towards those things that they feel like will help us meet, you know, our goals in the end. So that leads me to the evolving role of the CIO, of the CTO or IT director, how do you see this unfolding? Because a lot of, you know, my CIO friends don't like me saying this or don't agree that as things become more automated, AI takes over, what is really the role of a CIO? Is it growing into more of what you're doing, vision setting and setting goals? And how do you see that evolving over time? You know, and this is certainly, you know, from my frame of reference, but I encourage my colleagues who sit in the same roles that I sit in, you know, don't ever be afraid of understanding the magnitude and the benefits of what technology can bring to you. We're in a different space. We're in a different time frame. You know, COVID has certainly made all of us think about technology in a different way because we had to. But I think that if we maximize the uses of what technology can bring to us, We can all be better at serving the people that we serve. And, you know, it's a huge, huge part of communications. It's a huge part of communications. Long time ago, people had to go in the bank, right? You had to go in the bank to do business. You had to go in a post office to do business. And by all means, I'm not saying never go into these places to do business. But, you know, for people who have limited resources, like the people that we serve, it makes a world of difference for them to be, you know, in their homes, being able to handle their businesses, you know, without having to go out and find transportation and, you know, spend hours of, of time. So it maximizes what people can do on a daily basis. And I guess 
it also comes down to not being afraid to ask the questions, right? My comment about you being not from a tech background, I'm not one either. My background is accounting and finance, if you can believe that. But <laughs> for people in your position, I think it comes down to not being afraid to ask what may seem like a dumb question, right? It's what gets you to the top too, not being afraid to ask the obvious questions. And I think some people get hung up about the fact that they don't have the background. So what? You have the background in leadership and, and goal setting. So that's great to hear that you agree with me. Yeah. You talked about the customers being the focal point of everything you do. What specific tenant-facing technologies did you put in at Columbia? Yeah. So one of the things that, that a couple of things that we've done, we have prior to COVID, we did all of our workshops, self-sufficiency workshops, mm -hmm. addressing, addressing a, a variety of different topics. They were all, you know, face-to-face -face and they were mostly at our community centers located within our various properties. And so in our community centers, we also share that space with our community. And so we were, we had limited workshops opportunities. And so we probably offered, I don't know, less than a dozen workshops a month or, you know, on a good month, we offered a dozen. And so, but, but bringing in a technology to be able to offer those workshops virtually and all of our partners who provide these workshop opportunities were all dialed in. We now offer hundreds of workshops, you know, made available to our residents where they can go online, sign up for these workshops virtually, sit in the, you know, in the confines of their home and be engaged with the instructor, learning those things that they wish to learn or gain more information on, you know, on various topics. We had one of the success stories around our workshops is that we had 12 families that were at the place where they were ready to, they had a couple more classes that they needed to take, and then they were, were ready to begin looking for a home and being able to purchase a home. So when COVID hit, we transitioned those homeownership workshops to a virtual platform. So those families were able to complete their homeownership workshop classes, and they ended up purchasing a home during COVID-19. Oh, so that's awesome. Those are some of the things that the advancement of technology has done. And then for our families, if they have any income changes or anything like that, they can go online and be able to submit their information online to us virtually. And, you know, we go in and, and process their information, send them an email back. We communicate with all of our families. We have their, we, they either get text messages from us or emails from us and we have the ability in the back end of our CMS database on our website to be able to push information out to specific groups regarding specific information. So that has certainly been a huge benefit to communicating with our families. That's amazing. And how do you measure the success of this virtual space and everything you're offering to your clients? Certainly. So as I mentioned previously, measuring the success of the homeownership workshop is that we have families to purchase a home. But we also measure the success by looking at analytical data that we receive from Google. And we have the ability to look at the number of unique visitors that are visiting our website. We have the ability to, to look at who is accessing our calendars to be able to, you know, who are logging in out into our workshops and taking those classes. And so I'm going to give you some example. We, prior to July of 2019, prior to the launch of our new website, we had less than 10,000 people a year visiting our website. And they were visiting 
And I attributed that to because it was just very hard to navigate and find information. So in 2020, my first year, full year, we had 157,000 unique visitors visiting our website. Oh, wow. And then I pulled the data from this year, from January to October, and we had 208,000 unique visitors visiting our website. And so, and we have over 10 million website hits. So that means that people are clicking, 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 clicking yeah. through different things and looking at stuff. And we can drill down further in the data mm. too and, and look at other things. But to me, that really speaks volumes to this is more than just a website. It's a business portal. So people are accessing our information to retrieve business, to do business and mm-hmm. to gain information. And so we also have the new website give us the ability to be able to have users sign up for or subscribers sign up for information. And so we've got over our database now has the last time I looked, we had over 40,000 subscribers to information on our website. So that is huge, a major you know, accomplishment. And that number grows every day. So do you attribute that to COVID and a greater need or better systems on your end, or is it both? I attribute it to a combination of both. Okay. I really do attribute it to a combination of both. And, you know, some of the, the verbal and written feedback that I've received from people is that they really like the fact that, you know, our information is very easy to navigate on our website and it's very transparent. And it focuses on those four principles that I that I launched during my initial joining the organization. And one of that was residence first was, you know, the first one, increasing operational efficiency, transparency and accountability. And so the transparency and accountability part is, is, is really big. And then the, you know, organizational efficiency. That's incredible. I think that's all the questions I have. Do you have anything else to add, Ivory? No, I just want to say thank you for, you know, allowing the time to talk to me about IT. I know a lot of times when people think about government entities in particular, you know, they feel that these organizations are really, really operating, you know, behind time. And and I just want to say that there are a lot of people really rethinking IT. And I want to thank you so much for having this platform because it's such a great tool for people who are rethinking IT to take a look at and gain valuable information. Thank you so much. That should be our catchphrase. I should use that. Can I use that? Yes. <laughs> I'll give you credit. But no, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always great to speak to like-minded people and especially in technology. Again, I keep repeating myself. It's not about technology. Mm-hmm. The gadgets mm-hmm. existed. They exist. They will become better. It's how you apply and how you make life better for your customers and workers. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We have just concluded another information-driven episode of Rethink IT. Join us again next week and continue to discover how to rethink IT and implement new and better ways to deliver world-class government services. To access the show notes and other episodes, or to learn more about working with Abhijit Verikar and Avero Advisors, visit averoadvisors.com forward slash rethink IT. We hope to see you again next time so we can continue to build a smarter government. Until next time.